With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey folks, John Miller here. We are so excited that Exile has come back to be an anchor and studio sponsor of the Hawkeye Nation podcast again this year. Want to let you know about something coming up on their calendar, hopefully yours as well. Exile Music Fest is Saturday, August 25th. The Motet, Kyle Hollinsworth Band, The Maytags, Mr. Barber's Neighbors, Aaron Cam, and The One Drops will all be performing. Tickets available online. The venue is 1514 Walnut Street in Des Moines. Go to exilebrewing.com and over on the left side, click on 2018 Exile Music Fest for more information and links to get your tickets. HN Podcast, I'm John Miller, along with Steve Day's pigskins were flying in Kinnick Stadium this weekend as Iowa held their annual Kids' Day practice session. And I don't know, Steve, if you had a chance to watch any of Rob Howe's videos or not. I, I watched the entire video, and I must say that, A, it took a long time for Rob to edit. It was like 17 minutes of highlights. That, that is a... Various laborious, a very laborious undertaking. Having been someone who's edited a lot of video in his career, so thanks uh, for Rob for doing that. For those of you that didn't get a chance to make it up to Kinnick Stadium this week, you can go to HawkeyeNation.com and check out Rob's video. Um, let's start maybe with some of uh, Rob's observations, uh, as okay. we do every year at this point in time. I will go through these from the article that he wrote on HawkeyeNation.com. Head coach Kirk Ferentz hasn't seen much, if any, separation in the race for the number two quarterback spot behind starter Nate Stanley, redshirt freshman Peyton Mansell, and true freshman Spencer Petrus, who enrolled in January. Received even reps, Rob said it was probably Petrus looking more comfortable, which is not surprising. Petrus has been there longer. Or not, not Petrus, rather, but Mansell looked more comfortable. Mansell has been there longer. Uh, Petrus with a bigger arm, but based upon what I saw in the video, yeah, I mean, they're number two quarterbacks for a reason, and uh, if Iowa doesn't have Nate Stanley this year, chances are uh, they'll struggle to be 500. When I read Rob's report yesterday, this was the thing that stuck out to me, John, because I knew it, but I really didn't realize it. Meaning, you know, we study these depth charts and everything all off season, um, but we're getting into the time of year that you get more intimately familiar with them, and it really hit hits home more the drop-off potential from that spot. You know, if 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 they had a war wins against replacement stat in college football, um, <laughs> I think Nathan Stanley might be among your Big Ten leaders in that in that stat. And so I'm 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 a as a guy who's been pretty bullish on the Hawks for the last few weeks of this offseason, I'm a little bit nervous, man. I'm a little nervous about that opening game. And, you know, I also read that the guys who are suspended were your starting tackles in the practice. You've got one of the maybe, you know, the most in terms of production, uh, the most feared pass rusher in college football returning in your first game. And maybe I'm just panicky because I went through this with my favorite team last year where I just watched on three different occasions guys go free and kill people 
nearly. Right. And watched quarterbacks. You know, uh, I, I saw too much of ambulances last year as a Michigan yeah, yeah, fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm a little concerned about you know the drop off from Nathan Stanley to who is next. When these are guys that haven't played a single snap of meaningful football in college football whatsoever. And so I don't know why it didn't resonate with me as much in May, June, and July as when I just read it right there in Rob's report. But I did kind of do one of those, you know, when I read that, you know, that was just kind of my reaction. You know, it's interesting to a couple of different points. Um, I was sitting here thinking, okay, Steve's maybe overreacting a little bit because, I mean, most schools at the Big Ten level, we, and we've even talked about this before, there's likely a rather precipitous drop-off from number one to number two. However, Iowa's first game now with both of its starting offensive tackles, the projected number one talk, tackles in Alaric Jackson and Tristan Wirfs, they won't be playing. And there's a very accomplished pass rusher for Northern Illinois who can line up on either the left side or the right side, uh, one of the, the biggest returning sackers in the country for this year. So the chances of Stanley getting hurt in that first game with some lookout blocks, yeah, that's a good point that you bring up. And I've been saying this since uh, you know early last week or the week before when we learned that Wirfs was also going to be out, Jackson mm-hmm. was going to be out. I was like, you know what? Run right at the kid. I can't remember the guy's name. I'm going to look it up here um, in my Phil Steele magazine, which I always have in front of me for purposes like this. Northern Illinois' uh, defensive end, he's not that big. Um, from what I recall. And what I would do, Steve, I'd run right at the guy. I, I mean, I, yep. I don't think, I, I don't know what the total is going to be on this game, but whenever it comes out, I might go ahead and say, hey, uh, take the under on this one. Uh, Sutton Smith is his name. 14 sacks last year. Looking at him in the uh, Phil Steele, says six feet, 230. He's probably not that big. I'd just pull, I'd run power O. And I'd run right at him. And if he lined up left this side where he's been lining up right, I make a little audible at the line of scrimmage and run freaking right at the kid. Just power it up. Because Iowa should win a game power against power. And frankly, when you have inexperienced offensive linemen that are going to be starting in in favor of your guys who are going to be your projected starters, they're likely going to be better at run blocking than pass blocking without as much experience. I would just, I'd keep it very simple. I'd run right at him. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think that's a lot easier to do in the run game than in the pass game where communication and things of that nature matter quite a bit in pass pro. Uh, you know, I, I really don't feel qualified to question what Kirk Ferentz is doing with the offensive line for obvious reasons. When has that ever stopped you? Okay, well, yeah. Okay, you got me there. Uh, but I just turned 45 years old, so I decided to take up self-awareness. Uh, <laughs> so... So, it's all it's totally. all down. Why are we even doing this anymore? I mean, you're self-aware now. That's going to make this a lot more boring. I know. Well, I, I realized I was basically all but devoid of it the first 45 years of my life. So I'm going to see the last third or half. Maybe I'm going to I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah, now, it might not last long, but we're going to give it mess, a shot. Don't mess with the streak, Steve. Don't <laughs> mess with the streak. But and and I I purposefully did not watch Rob's videos and I haven't the last few years because I go back to how I just totally overreacted to that one a few years ago mm-hmm. when it was it, the pass rush drill looked like an Olay drill. Do you remember that that year? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. And we yeah. all just completely overreacted and some I think probably at least five people canceled their season tickets after we did that podcast. You know, <laughs> so I'm not going to do that anymore either. But. Uh, I'm going to ask a question rather than just immediately jump to a conclusion. 
tell me why knowing those guys aren't that you're going to be your starters week one you would not be giving every rep possible to the guys that do have to play tell me why you wouldn't do that i think we touched on that a little bit last week in that the first half of camp was going to be laying down fundamentals and then the last week if not two weeks those first team guys who will be first teamers the rest of the year are going to get less reps as you begin to transition and prepare for Northern Illinois. But you can't not let your bell cows who are going to start for you, ideally, at least 12 games if you make it to a bowl game, you can't just forget about them and put it all on week one because then when week two comes and a much better opponent than Iowa State, those guys don't have, they got a lot of rust. So, you know, Rob did some select highlights, and the twos certainly got uh, a lot of work and reps out there, too. I don't know the breakdown. It's a fair point, but I'm not sure at this stage of camp if it's a big, a big significance. No, and I mean, was it last year or the year before? Because as we get older, they start running together. That Kirk was like, Kirk was like, well, you know, our twos are threes and our threes are fours. And our fours are, you know, essentially. You that know, was before the twelve. Yeah, wasn't that before the twelve and zero season? Yeah, that's why I don't know. I don't. I don't know what to react to. That's that's. You know, I, and this goes. This has been going on for years. I go back to when we did Miller and Dace, man, and I had like Iowa number five in my preseason poll, and going into twenty ten, and Gary Dolphin walks in and totally talks me out of it. Okay, right. so. They're never good when I think they're going to be. They're always good when I think I don't think they're going to be that good. I, so I don't know what to think. I, that's why I'm worried for your fan base because I think they're going to be much better than people think when I look at their schedule. And my track record on thinking Iowa's going to be better than people thinks, not really good, actually. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, yeah, kiss to death, some people say. Um, moving on, Rob Howell's observation said it looked like Nick Neiman and Imani Jones are well in the lead for the starting linebacker spots. Uh, the other position appeared open. Kirk Ferentz said Christian Welch, uh, Jaimon Colbert, and true freshman Seth Benson were in the mix for it. Mm. And Rob went on later again to speak highly of Benson. A true freshman linebacker. I can't remember. if I don't know that James Morris was a true freshman in 2010. When he had to play due to injuries, I can't remember. I, I can't remember if he's a red shirt or a true freshman. You don't see too many true freshman starting linebackers in the Big Ten, so I, I'm betting that he's not going to be in the mix. I, I'm betting that it's going to be Welch, but linebacker obviously a position that we've discussed a lot with Iowa losing uh, their top three from last year. And I'm really, really hoping, Steve, that you're right about your opinions on Iowa's defensive line possibilities for this year because they're certainly going to need it with that inexperience behind them. Well, it's been something we've talked about several times over the years. One of the best exchanges I ever had with Kirk in my daily sports uh, media career back in the day was before the 05 Iowa State game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Abdul Hodge and Chad Greenway were back. And. Everybody on the defensive line was gone, and I asked Kirk, would you rather have two potential All-American linebackers and a new defensive line or uh, a couple of All-Americans on the defensive line and all-new linebackers? And his answer to me was, well, since I guess since the situation we have are the great linebackers and the new defensive line, I guess I have to give that answer, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, now this year it's the opposite answer, you know? So um, this is, and our, our listeners have heard us talk about this for years. You can't hide. There's two things that are true about college football. You can't hide your quarterback in college football. And this is the position, the defensive front. This is what separates good from great, mediocre from good, great from elite, 
Um, this is the position. Uh, and it's very hard, uh, even for programs like Wisconsin. There's a reason why they put a lot more linebackers and DBs in the NFL um, and, and for every J.J. Watt, because that was a self-made former walk-on from what was a Central Michigan. Right. That's a position that's very difficult to manufacture, you know, that 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 cone drill score it's very difficult to make a 300 pound guy that can run a four eight real hard to do that that mm-hmm. tip it can, it's not that it can't be done yeah there is a you'll point to me to a jj watt most of the time though those guys are forged in the heavenly realm you know what i'm saying and mm-hmm. you know they're just uh, they're they're touched by the creator and a lot of them don't live in iowa ohio Pennsylvania, Michigan, Illinois, compared to how many of them seem to sadly live in Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, Florida. All right. And so we tend to be bereft of those guys up here in the Midwest, um, especially if you're a school, say, outside of Ohio State or Michigan, which has been able to recruit those guys from southern states to come or other places around the country to come here. Uh, But what Iowa has done with their developmental program, obviously Epinesa is a five-star elite-level recruit, but the rest of these are guys that that have been, you know, products of Iowa's vaunted strength and conditioning and development program, and I think it's the deepest defensive front lineup at Iowa. There may not be an Adrian Claiborne up there or a Jonathan Babineau, but in terms of the rotation aspect, not having the drop-off, and if you play a lot of bend-but-don't-break defense, that means a lot of times you're you're asking your front four to rush the passer. That's the most exhausting thing there is to do on defense, and so the overall depth and the different looks Iowa can provide up front is one of the things I like most about this team. Yeah, Rob mentioned a couple of freshmen um, that really show, showed up uh, on Saturday. Tyler Linderbaum from Solon. Uh, he's, I don't know, 6'3", 6'4", 270. True freshman. Rob said that he really stood out, and I, I was following the tweets of several uh, other Iowa media members as well during uh, this event. And Linderbaum's name really showed up. I'm trying to go in and find uh, his exact measurables from the um, Iowa media. Get 6'2", 270. Wrestler, multiple sport athlete. I actually went to high school with his mom and played high school sports against his dad. So I'm really getting old when I start seeing things like this happen. That is interesting that he's been working with the number two as a defensive tackle. Ferentz saying he's in the mix for playing time. Also... Uh, Noah Shannon uh, at defensive tackle getting some getting some run so probably just something Steve early in camp these guys are flashing they're getting an opportunity to get a little bit of an additional look but I just think as time wears on based upon the bodies and experience that Iowa has I'll be real surprised if any young true freshman like that plays a key role. But this year, as we've talked about before, we now have the new rule where true freshmen can play up to four games and not lose mm-hmm. their red shirt. So a guy mm-hmm. like a Linderbaum or a Shannon or a Julius Brents that Rob mentioned, that cornerback, a true freshman, it's just a great opportunity for these guys unlike they've ever had before because, hey, maybe you put this guy in early in the year and he sticks and he does a good job in games. You never would have known that before, so you would have, you would have uh, you know, sat him on the bench when he could have possibly helped your team. It's pretty exciting, really. I agree, and I, I think this redshirt rule is a benefit to everybody, and I think everybody has pointed out angles like, well, you know, if you're going to have a Leonard Fournette or a Christian McCaffrey or, you know, Texas last year, the, the joke was 
every seventh, every potential sixth and seventh round pick on Texas's defense set out the Alamo Bowl last year. Mm-hmm. All right, if you're going to have that situation, having a chance to plug those freshmen in that have now been through an entire summer with you, an entire season with you, uh, also add some an added extra layer of excitement that's your first chance to see some of these guys maybe mm-hmm. you know on a big stage. Um, People have mentioned, you know, schools like Alabama that are trying to hold on to a couple different, uh, you know, high-end quarterbacks at the same time when guys are like, if I ain't starting, I'm departing. And so they can dangle that carrot of playing four games in front of Jalen Hurts and not losing a, a year of eligibility. Like, all the good angles about this story have been touched on. The angle, except for one, I don't think enough's been said about why this will help programs like Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan State, you know, the developmental programs we have here in our footprint, but, you know, likewise, the same caliber of program across the country, because I would imagine for some of these guys, once the season gets going, the whole focus is on winning on Saturday. Right. And and there's and there's a mixture of sometimes these guys get left behind because of that if they're not playing. And then also you wonder if I'm not playing, is where's my commitment level at in October, you know, the dog days, et cetera. And for a coach like a Kirk Ferentz to be able to constantly dangle that out there with those guys to say, hey, you've got a chance. You know, we we can put you in a game and not lose it and lose any eligibility out there. Having more of that opportunity to keep guys engaged, particularly given the conversation we just had last week, where basically they asked their starting tackle, uh, you know, don't be a mouth breather and we're going to, you know, uh, be pretty forgiving. And he suddenly couldn't live up to that either. Um, I, I think anything you can do to incentivize young people because a lot of times, the when we get to we, after we get past like that second week of fall camp, uh, at a lot of programs we don't hear unless they're going to start or play right away. You don't hear about the young guys at all till we get to bowl practices because that's really the first time the coaches have the time to work with them full time again, right? Mm-hmm. And so having but having that carrot out there, that competitive incentive that hey, you've got a chance. You know, you, your parents don't have to wait 12 calendar months to watch you play. They might get a chance to come in and watch you play against Northern Illinois week one if you hit the books, if you show us early on you're ready to go. I think that helps develop developmental programs too indeed noah shannon six one three hundred pounds as a true freshman um I, and i i actually tallied up iowa's two deep roster last week during media day when they released the um you know camp two deep the mm-hmm. average the average weight of iowa's defensive line two deep was 275 pounds mm-hmm. gotta imagine that's on the 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 lowest of low ends for any other squad in the big 10 now that in itself doesn't tell the story Iowa's never They've not regularly had, you know, 315-pound war daddies on the interior of their line. But uh, just something to point out. Um, Running backs, Torn Young, Ivory Kelly Martin, we're familiar with them. They were the uh, heir apparents or incumbents, if you will, and likely still are. But they've been joined by a very late addition to the program that happened, I think it was in May or June. A running back from a JUCO uh, out in western Iowa, Mecky Sargent. I think he led uh, the JUCO ranks in rushing last year, 1,500 mm-hmm. yards in 10 games. Mm-hmm. Um, not a big guy, you would say. Uh, 5'10", 210 pounds. He's probably more like 5'8", 200. R- runs with a very low center of gravity, very shifty. And last week at Kirk Ferentz's, uh, you know, media day press conference and also listening to Brian Ferentz and some other coaches from media day uh, and then seeing some of the video that Rob posted, 
this guy's got some shake. He has some really good leg strength. He's, I think he's going to play a significant role this year. Well, I, I kind of like those kind of dimensions for a tailback, actually. You know, I, I, you and I covered a guy at Iowa that had about 5'8", 200 pounds of dimensions. He was pretty good, you know. Little um, Freddie? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think those dimensions with the way Iowa plays, uh, that, uh, you know, first of all, if you're 5'8", 200 pounds, you're probably pretty put together in the lower body. Uh, so you can maybe uh, take a little a punishment, break some tackles. But the opportunity that if you're – especially if you're shifting a one-cut guy mm-hmm. to kind of hide behind that, you know, when it's in sync, that symphony of that zone blocking scheme for Iowa uh, and kind of hide behind those guys and give yourself a, an extra half a second to pick the hole and, and, you know, sneak up on a defense there depending on your explosiveness level. You know, we've seen some of the best teams Kirk Ferentz has coached at Iowa have been successful with a tailback with those kinds of dimensions. Henry Guile, true freshman, fourth team running back. And uh, the fifth guy in, Rob Howe mentioned, true freshman, Samson Evans, who, gosh, was a uh, dual-threat quarterback, do-everything kind of a guy um, at his high school in Crystal Lake, Prairie Ridge. He's 6'1", 205. So, I mean, thin? Yeah, I'd say thin. Certainly thin on experience. This is as inexperienced a running back core at least at the fbs level um you know guy one through five let's just say that i can remember iowa having it's not to say it's devoid of talent but hopefully uh torn young and ivory kelly martin and mecky don't uh don't get hurt um receivers there that seems like a pretty solid um quartet that i would say probably have things well in hand uh you're talking about brandon smith you know, there was a receiver Rob did mention that, that popped up, Nico Raghi Regani, I think. He's probably got the most reps among the first-year players. But it's your your same cast of characters, Nick Easley, Amir Smith-Marset, Kyle Gronweg, and Brandon Smith. I guess Gronweg isn't you know familiar cast of characters. He's a, a new pickup. But Marset's a guy that can take the lid off, Steve. Brandon Smith is a guy that, you know, maybe a little bit of a Terrell Owens starter kit to to quote Scott Docterman from this weekend. And then the other guys, you know, just role players, guys that can get down, get down in the slot. But I, I do I do want to add that several media members at least felt like the offense swung back this year in the kids' practice, where in previous iterations of this practice, the defense just destroyed them and and judging on the video that i saw the defense won by a wide mm-hmm. margin and, and the defense typically knows what plays are coming i mean they try to run a jet sweep with amir smith marset when he went in motion everyone on the defense just shifted to the wide side because they'd seen that look 50 other times in practice yeah so I, i'm I'm, a, I'm optimistic that iowa might have uh something bordering on competence maybe in the passing game this year but i've been burned by that before I'm pretty sure I was going to average about 27 and a half points a game. <laughs> Am I wrong? No. Okay. No. Because that's we, pretty we, much always we, what they we could just right? rename. We could just rename that this podcast that and just say one sentence every week. <laughs> what are you worried about? They're going to average 27 a game. They're going to give up 16 a game. And they're going to win some yes. you don't think they should. They're going to lose some you don't think they should. And they'll be 8 and 4. This is the they're going to average twenty seven and a half points per game podcast each yes. week. Brought to you by uh, Steve Dace and uh, John Miller. Yeah. Yes, I, Hawkeyes two seven five. That's it right there. Um, uh, no, it may it may look different now. You know, twenty seven and a half points per game 
how you get there can make a difference, right? Well, if you control I mean, the clock, if you, yeah. if if you're talking about a game that you know your 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 teams are running 130 plays combined, things right. like that, absolutely. Right. Then you're talking points per possession, points per whatever, for sure. See, and that's what I would. Something ask. I think Iowa fan listening to us, I would really watch for because the first two weeks you're playing who a lot of people think is the best team in the MAC. I think they're one of the best teams. I think Ohio might be the best team. They're my number one. They're my pick to win the MAC. But Northern Illinois is a lot of people's pick to win the MAC. And you're place you're you're facing your in-state rival who Chip Brown of Orange Bloods. Well, it's Texas two four seven now. I heard him on a national show over the weekend. He picked Iowa State to be in the Big Twelve championship game. Heard it with my mm. own ears. Okay. Needless to say, your first two opponents, though, are a team that could very well win one of the group of five conferences and another team that was in a bowl game last year and would be disappointed if they're not this year. And it's your big in-state rivalry game. Okay, And so you're going to get an answer to this the very first two weeks of what I'm about to say. One of the things I think will be fascinating to watch Iowa navigate this season is the makeup of... A, a quarterback who at times was inconsistent, but when he was good, was really, really good. All right. And so he's sort of your constant right now on offense. You're going to have a shuffling lineup on the offensive line the first two weeks because of suspensions. You've got really all new tailbacks in terms of guys that you're going to ask to carry the, the water. And then you've outside of your defensive front, you've got a lot of question marks in the back seven of your defense. And... It will be fascinating to see if Kirk is okay. You know, this we we sort of talked about this a little bit last year when we weren't sure what some of, who some of these guys on the defensive line ultimately became. You know, we sort of talked last year is is it, it, sometimes with a coach like Kirk Ferentz, part of the 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 analysis is will he give his team permission to win a game 35-31 mm-hmm. if they have to. Does the, does the game have to – we know he is good if the game looks a certain way, right? We know that. And we've talked about that before. Most of Iowa's games are going to be 24-17, 24-21. If the first couple of weeks when Iowa State is spreading you out with a sixth-year senior quarterback, and you've got to have those guys in the defensive front really committing to stopping David Montgomery because you can't put eight in the box to do it because they're going to spread you out. Right. So you've really got to have your guys in the defensive front have got to make sure they're not overly committed in their rush lanes. And then they sneak David Montgomery on a draw and they bust a gap on you. So you're going to have to really have that defensive front focused on the running game. The back seven is going to be really spread out by an experienced quarterback that's sort of seen it all in college football. And he's not overly talented, but he's got a lot of guile, a lot of moxie and a lot of experience. And he's pretty heady. So they're going to get some points on you unless it's just a game that where they're just disastrous on the turnover end is, is, you know, is Kirk, this is not typically the makeup that Kirk is the most comfortable with going into a year, right? You're finding who your tailback's going to be. You're of a shuffling offensive lineup. The, the quarterback who likes to wing the ball down the field is sort of the bell cow and the back seven on defense is breaking in some several new guys. It will be fascinating for me to see how Kirk, gives himself permission to adjust to that. Because I don't think you're going to be able to win those first couple of games sort of the way, even if the scores are the same, they may not be the style of play the way that Iowa football typically looks when the games are that score. Yeah, interesting point. Um, Last thing for me, 
the thing that stood out most from Rob Howe's video was the north end zone, the north new construction. And so Iowa's got a Tiger Hawk at the 50 last year. Now they now have a Tiger Hawk on the water tower. What else could they possibly want? Well, I'm going to tell you. It's not <laughs> hardly an original idea. They're going to want the south end zone stands to mirror what the north end zone stands are now. That mm-hmm. thing looks incredibly impressive. It's very vertical. It's going to make that place louder. And if they had the south the same as the north, it would remind me a lot of the, you know, the setup that they have at Oklahoma State, how boxed mm-hmm. in and enclosed in that is. Mm-hmm. Holy freaking crap would that be insanely loud. But at any rate, that's not going to happen. There's way too much infrastructure beneath the south end zone. And, and I think that, I mean, it'd probably be a, a hundred million plus project to redo that one again, I'm guessing. So it's not going to happen. But man, that north end zone looked pretty cool. Nice addition for Iowa there. Uh, so it, it looks, I don't want to say that it, Kinnick Stadium wasn't legit before, but man, that just, it looks legit. It looks like a stadium. I agree. It's funny. They're doing some of the stuff you and I used to talk about on talk radio, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 mm-hmm. years ago. They're doing it yeah. now. Yeah. With their money and our mouths. So, all right, that'll do it for this installment of the HN Podcast. Uh, Coming up later this week, actually, we'll drop it the same day on the Bigger Ten Podcast. We're going to talk more about the ongoing saga at Ohio State that is uh, Urban Meyer and Zach Smith and just how not to handle things from a PR standpoint. We'll talk about that and what's going on at Maryland as well when we Mm -hmm. talk at the Bigger Ten. So a, a lot to cover on that podcast. Hopefully you'll tune in there as well. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.